friend a friend Closer than a brother I have felt your touch More intimate than lovers Jesus, friend forever. What a hope of fame, more faithful than a Good morning. Glad to see those that are here and glad to have you that have tuned in at home. We are in day 287 of quarantine. I have no idea how many days it is. We're in a lot of them. And uh, this is a intentional thing that we have to do, is remind ourselves that there's a greater body of people that are all trying to walk in faith with Jesus Christ. I did want to mention real quick, uh, Lori, Lori Prophet is still home. This is her last day of quarantine, and things I've heard are going well with her family, so she'll be back. And then Pastor Matt, he will be back next week. 
This morning, Eric Disman is going to be the one sharing the word with us, so look forward to that, and look forward to being together at home or here. So get your mind and heart and hands and in the right place, and we're going to try to fix our attention on him. Here we go.
like the electric guitar. God is in it. I know he is. I'm just kidding. I want to just take a moment. I want to help you and help me just bow ourselves for a minute. Will you open your hands, your heart, your mind? Father, will you remind us now that you are God and that we are not? Father, will you remind us that you are the God of our country and that we are not? That when in the midst of chaos, you are still God. Sometimes it doesn't feel like it. Sometimes we don't feel it. We don't see it. We want you to change it. We want you to do something different. Whether it's about our kids or our Congress or our finances or our boss, Father, we open our hands and we bow to whatever is happening. We bow to you that there is a bigger plan and a bigger power. Will you help us not get mad? Teach us to open our hands. Help us.
someone said to me, they said, every day the sun comes up right where it's supposed to come up. And it takes the path in the sky right where it's supposed to take a path. Do you realize the moon has been coming up or rotating or whatever it does for thousands of years? It doesn't ever change. It doesn't tells me something about the one who spoke it and holds all things together. Let all things. Let all things their creator bless and worship him in humbleness. Oh, praise him. Let's sing. Hallelujah, the sun comes up the same every day. And God is like the sun. He made it. You may be seated. This week, um, I'm sure they're not watching, so I can maybe say something that one of my children made a decision this week that was not according to Todd's will. 21 or 20-year-olds do that. And I fought, and I clawed, and I begged, and I pleaded, and I almost spanked her. Be thankful, parents, you can still. If you can. I'm just telling you. And finally, I had to come to a place where I had to relent. 
I had to remember that I'm powerless to control and that I had to bow to her stupid choice and I had to allow her to learn and grow and don't do everything that daddy wants. Are you like my daughter? Just because, God, you want this, I'm not going to do it. I think I am. And I'm trying to learn to let go and trust that he is bigger and smarter and stronger. Psalm 139. I've read this over and over and over this week. Father God, you go before me and you follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. You place your hand of blessing on my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. That he would bless me and anoint me and create me and say, you are beautifully and wonderfully made. It is too great for me to understand. I can never escape from His Spirit. I can never get away from His presence. Will you read those yourself, to yourself, 23 times. No, I'm kidding. I can never escape. It's good news. How deep the Father's love for us. How vast beyond all measure. That he should give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. How great the pain of searing loss. The father turns his face away. His wounds which are the chosen sons to done. 
will not. I will not boast in anything. No power, no wisdom, but I will boast in Jesus Christ. And resurrection. Why should I gain from his reading? Again, why? Why should I gain from his reading? Again, why should I gain from his reading? I cannot give an answer, but this I know with all my heart is have paid my
light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. You are way maker, miracle works, promise keep. Light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. got any promises? Anyone want to yell out any promises that we all need to remember today? I got to be able to hear it, so better take your, take your mask off. Faithful, I heard it. Forgiven. His grace is sufficient. His grace is enough. At home. Do you have a promise? Will you? Sins are forgiven. He loves us. He's coming back. At home, I can't hear you. He's in charge, and so is she. This song is, sometimes I don't believe everything I sing. Sometimes the song has to remind me of what is true. Sometimes the song has to pull me. Even when I don't see that you work, even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop, you never stop working. You never stop, you never stop working. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop, you never stop working. You never stop, you never stop working. Even when I don't see it, you're today that in the midst of chaos in our country, the midst of protest and riot and lies and who can believe what, we have a virus going everywhere, people are dying, 
families are being devastated and jobs lost. Father, we ask that you would help us humble ourselves and seek your face and heal our land. We ask and we know that you are doing something deeper in our country, that you are doing something deeper in our community, in our families, and in our heart, that we have not been in control. Will you continue to push us deeper into knowing you, sensing your presence, deeper into your word, deeper into prayer. Father, we relent again. Will you take control? We all got our stuff. And we are glad that we have each other. That we are not in this alone. You are way maker, miracle work, promise keeper, light in my darkness, my God, that is who you are. One more time. You are way maker, miracle work. Promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are, that is who you are. We all said, amen. amen. You may be seated. Dr. Reverend General Corporal, I don't know what Eric is. Where is Eric? Oh, we have a video. Sorry. Each one of us will face different choices concerning our finances throughout our lives. Some of us may be struggling to keep our heads above water as we face debt at every turn. Others may be right on the line with no margin for error. And still others may have even managed to put some money into savings. Oftentimes we allow these financial situations to order our giving for us. We give when we have plenty and hold back when times are tough. The book of Proverbs gives us a powerful truth when we view our giving based upon our bank statements. Proverbs 11.24 says that if we withhold what we should give, we will only suffer more want. Our first inclination when we hear this is to say that it cannot be true, that if we hang on to all our money, we will have that much more money to pay our bills. But the Bible doesn't concede this point. In fact, it tells us that only when we give freely, not hoarding our money, will we grow richer. By giving, we will end up with plenty, and if we try and keep it all, we end up not having what we need. What a paradox, and what a powerful motivation to give at the same time. Do you trust this promise? Do you believe that God rewards those who give in any circumstance? This is the one area where God tells us to test Him, and it's the one area very few of us actually do. We test his mercy as we run off like the prodigal son, only to find that he welcomes us back with open arms when we repent. And we are willing to test his patience with our habitual sins, again to find that he is slow to anger. So why not test his generosity and see if he does not fulfill our every need 
just as he promises. Morning, church. It's good to see you all again. Um, I've been out for a little while, so you may not want to hear it, but this is the first chance I get to say it. Happy New Year. So, uh, Children, uh, you go ahead and re- you're released now. Uh, I'm sure Mackenzie's got something for you that's going to be great, so if you just head on out the door and with her. So. These have been tough times, haven't they? Uh, this week's been a little difficult for some of us. So I'd just like to take a moment now to pray, if we could, just bow your heads. Lord, we thank you for this beautiful day, for the good things we have to look forward to, for this family here of your disciples, of those who love you, who come here because they want to learn about you and share your love with others. They want to be a light to the world. Father, right now we also lift up those that we have appointed as leaders over our country. We ask that you bless them. We ask that you guide them. We ask that they turn to you and seek your guidance for our country. Not theirs, but yours. Not ours, but yours. We ask for your peace, your guidance for us, Lord. We thank you for every good thing that you do in our lives. Father, we pray for your shalom, which is your contented peacefulness over our leaders, over our country, and over us. Father, I ask today that no matter what words come out of my mouth, no matter their meaning, that it's your thoughts that enter our hearts. We love you, Father, and we thank you for your wonderful blessings. Amen. Do not call conspiracy everything this people calls conspiracy. Do not fear what they fear, and do not dread it. The Lord Almighty is the one you are to regard as holy. He is the one you are to fear. He is the one you are to dread. He will be a holy place. That's prophet Isaiah chapter 8, verses 12 through 13. Does that hit home right now for anybody? Repent, for the kingdom is near. So to some, right now it might feel like a start of the end of times, right? It's been a, a difficult week. Our, our leadership in our country is in turmoil. They've built walls against each other. They don't want to talk. They don't seem to want to work together. You wonder whose best interests are in their minds. You know, but there are also, there are groups all over our country right now, too, that they're seeking chaos. They're trying to cause trouble. They're trying to tear us down. So you might ask, you know, what, what can we do? Uh, I can only suggest this. Don't fall victim to that anger. Don't submit to violence. Don't be a part of that, that vitriol that's spewing forth that you hear all the time? No. Go be a light into the world. Do what you can to give people hope. So that's what many of us look forward to in this new year is hope, right? We tend to do that. We look forward. It's just in our nature. It's, it's what we do. I mean, for example, how many of you look forward to Christmas? 
Yeah. Why? Why do you look forward to Christmas? It's a month of joy, right? It's a month of peace. It's a month of celebration. We look to our Lord and the message that he brought us. As Bill Murray said in Scrooged, anybody like that movie? Yeah, it's one of my favorites. Kind of unorthodox, but the message is incredible. Bill Murray says, it's the one time a year we all get to be that person we always want to be. Right? So we do. We look to the future. We have this expectation to think, to look forward to that, and, and that, that the future holds what we need, right? Things will be better, right? It, it, we're going to get the answers. Tomorrow, next week, next month, December, next year, someday, it'll get better, if only, right? So is that why we look forward to December? Is that Jesus' message? Something in the, the distant future, something far away that's going to come at a later point. What was his message? When he was, went to John the Baptist and he was baptized, and afterwards he, he went into the wilderness and he was tempted by Satan, the accuser, and he overcame. Then afterwards, right after that, he returned to Galilee. What was the message? What was the first thing that he started preaching? What was the thing that he preached all throughout his ministry? Anybody, anybody know? Is it up there? Right? That's the message. Repent, for the kingdom has come near. See, we're, we're not much different from our ancestors, you know, mankind, humankind. We're the same all throughout our generations, right? We fall to the temptations of the world, we listen to the messages of man, right? We let these things hold us back. They hold us down. But are we seeing right now for what it really is? Do you see right now for what it is? So Mark chapter 1, verse 15. The time has come, he said, this is Jesus. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent. Repent and believe the good news. You see, when I was asked to give this sermon today, I didn't want to talk about repentance. I didn't want to talk about kingdom. Now, the first thing that came to my mind is I want to talk about the loving covenant relationship that, that God gave to us and compare that with that legalistic, business, contractual thing that we made it into as men. I also wanted to talk about David. In fact, I decided, you know what? No, I'm going to talk about David. Right? David is this incredible example. Right? He was a man after God's own heart. You know, he served as a great example of all the things we face in this world. An example of how, how we as people fail, but yet we rise up. Right? But David's life was the very message of God's mercy. It's for us sinners who love the Lord. It's for us sinners who fail, but then we repent when we sin. It's for the sinners who, who obey the Lord fully in keeping with repentance. So as I started building my notes on these ideas, there's, there's one concept that kept coming up, and that was repentance. 
Everything I read about David was, was the story of repentance. As I, as I went through my, my day, my week, I kept hearing this thing, repentance. It came up in men's Bible study on Friday, repentance and the kingdom of God. So I keep hearing these things. I'm like, yeah, what is the message? Why is repentance important? Well, the other half of that, right? Kingdom of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. You see, that's the message of our Messiah. It's the message that's all throughout the Old Testament. It's the message that's all throughout the New Testament. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word is shub. It means return. In context, it means return to the Lord. In the New Testament, the Greek word used is metanoia. It means to change one's mind. It means to change one's heart. See, whether Greek or Hebrew, wherever it occurs in the Bible, they refer to recognizing one's sin. It's the conscious conscious decision to turn from sin. It's changing the way we think. It's changing the way we act. It's a full turning back to the Lord to live in the way that He has instructed us. That's repentance. So let's look at Ezekiel 18. It's an Old Testament example of repentance. You see, what's cool about Ezekiel 18, right, it's not just good for telling us what one who repents does, but it also gives us a very clear picture of what righteousness is. So turn to Ezekiel 18, verses 4 through 13. For everyone belongs to me, the parent as well as a child. Both alike belong to me. The one who sins is the one who will die. Suppose there is a righteous man who does what is just and right. He does not eat at the mountain shrines or look to the idols of Israel. He does not defile his neighbor's wife or have sexual relations with a woman during a period. He does not oppress anyone, but returns what he took and pledged for a loan. He does not commit robbery, but gives his food to the hungry and provides clothing for the naked. He does not lend to them at interest or take a profit from them, He withholds his hand from doing wrong and judges fairly between two parties. He follows my decrees and faithfully keeps my laws. That man is righteous. He will surely live, declares the sovereign Lord. And suppose that this man has a a violent son who sheds blood or does any of these other things, though the father has done none of them. He eats at the mountain shrines, defiles his neighbor's wife, oppresses the poor and needy, commits robbery, doesn't return what he took in pledge. He looks to idols, does detestable things. He lends it interest and takes a profit. Will such a man live? He will not, because he has done all these detestable things. He is to be put to death, and his blood will be on his own head. See, these verses were pivotal at the time that they were spoken. The, the Israelites had become confused, right? They were confused about who is responsible for their sins. Was it the person that committed it? Is the generation after them? 
God made it very clear that it's the sinner. Sins aren't some hereditary curse. It's not passed down from father to son, from mother to daughter. No. These verses are also pivotal because they're some of the only verses in the Bible that give us very clear definition of what righteousness is. They speak about repentance. We're going to see that here shortly, that there's hope for the sinner that changes his or her way. So we go to Ezekiel 18, verses 21 through 22. But if a wicked person turns away from all the sins they have committed and keeps all my decrees and does what is just and right, that person will surely live. They will not die. None of the offenses they have committed will be remembered against them. Because of the righteous things they have done, they will live. And then again in verses 30 through 32. Therefore, you Israelites, I will judge each of you according to your own ways, declares the sovereign Lord. Repent. Turn away from all your offenses, then sin will not be your downfall. Rid yourselves of all the offenses you have committed, and get a new heart and a new spirit. Why will you die, people of Israel, America? For I take no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the sovereign Lord. Repent and live. See, Ezekiel 18 is God telling us word for word, describing what righteousness and repentance are. Ezekiel 18 is an example of our salvation coming through God's grace. It's a model for living. Simply repent. Follow the Lord. King David was a man after God's own heart. He lived before the time of Ezekiel. He was considered a prophet himself. And David understood repentance. So turn to Psalms 32, verses 1 through 5. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven. These are the words of David. Whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. David says, When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me, and my strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. But then David, he says, I acknowledge my sin to you, and I did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. You see, David gets it. See, Jesus speaks of repentance all through the New Testament. But we're going to look at an example from John the Baptist, right? Because his message was the very gospel of Jesus Christ. You might say, yeah, I thought Paul says the gospel of Christ is Christ on the cross. Yeah, that's part of the message, right? New King James Version of Matthew 4.23. And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom. That's the gospel of Jesus. You see, Jesus, the next slide. One more. You see, Jesus, like John the Baptist, taught the following. Repent, for the kingdom is near. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. So we'll talk about the kingdom in a minute. 
But first, what does John mean by producing fruit? We'll turn to Luke 3, verses 10 through 14. To those who asked what they should do, John told them, Anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none. And anyone who has food should do the same. That's Luke 3.11. That's the person who repents. In Luke 3.12-13 it says, Even tax collectors came to be baptized. The teacher, they asked, what should we do? And John said, don't collect any more than you are required to. See, this is one who repents. To the soldiers in Luke 3.14, who asked what they should do, John told them. He said, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. See, these, aren't, these are the actions of one who repents. These aren't just like one-time things. This is continual. This is how you live. Do any of these things sound familiar? They should. They're an echo of Ezekiel 18. So the next slide, there you go. I don't know if you guys can see this very well or not. So John says in Luke... Anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none, and any who has food should do the same. Our Lord God, through the prophet Ezekiel, says that a righteous person is one who has given his bread to the hungry and covered the naked with clothing. John the Baptist, teaching of repentance in Luke, says, Don't collect any more than you're required. God says through his prophet Ezekiel, A righteous person has not exacted usury nor taken any increase. John tells us, don't extort money. God says that the righteous person has not oppressed anyone and has robbed no one by violence. John tells us, those soldiers, don't accuse people falsely. God, through his prophet, tells us, the righteous person has withdrawn his hand from iniquity and executed true judgment between man and man. You see, the Old Testament books, just like those in the New Testament books, are just as meaningful and applicable today as the day they were first spoken, first recorded. Repentance is a change of heart. It's a purposeful decision to follow the Lord. Repentance, it's producing fruit in the manner of good works. Not that good works save you, because they don't, because it's God's mercy that saves you. But good works are the result of that love and that obedience to our Lord, our Father God. As Paul says in Ephesians 2.10, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. I think I had that on the slide. You see, this is repentance. So that is repentance. But what is the kingdom of God, and when is it coming? Right? Isaiah 37, 16. We'll have that one? Yeah. Lord Almighty, the God of Israel enthroned between the cherubim, you alone are God over all the earth, all the kingdoms of earth. You have made heaven and earth. 
So what is the kingdom? Is it not all creation? Is it not all heavens and earth? Is it not America? Is it not where you're sitting right now? So when's the kingdom going to come? Well, consider this. God is the great I am. It's not the great I was. It's not the great I will be. He is. He is God. He is Lord over all. He's reigning on His throne right now, at this very moment, over His kingdom. So what does that mean for us? See, the Sadducees, they didn't believe in the resurrection. So they asked Jesus a question in the hopes of catching Him in a trap. As it was with anybody who challenges Jesus, they don't get what they want, right? In fact, they have their beliefs turned upside down. They asked a, a question regarding the law and the marriage and, and how it affects the resurrection. Right? They propose that there is this wife whose husband dies before they bear children. And so by the law, she's, be, she's to be married to the brother so they can carry on the line of that man that died. So she marries his brother. Yet that man dies before they have children. This happens seven times. Seven brothers, seven marriages, no children. Finally, she dies. So the Sadducees ask, whose wife will she be at the resurrection? Jesus' message first, you know, it's, it sounds simple, right? But it's actually pretty deep in meaning. So turn to Matthew 22, verses 29 through 32. Jesus replied, You are in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. At the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. But about the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what God said to you? I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. Wow, Jesus spoke of the resurrection that, that we're going to be like the angels. Some of us might think that the resurrection is this, this, this future time, some distant future, right? You know, especially when we're looking at some of the other scriptures and they, they identify the resurrection with a singular final judgment of all people. Jesus knows that the Sadducees and that we now think this. So he clarified by repeating Exodus 3.6 where he said, well, God says God says, right? I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So what, is it, what does he mean by this? What's, what's Jesus trying to tell us? What does he mean that God is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living? Are we going to die and are we going to wait in limbo somewhere until the, the end of time, till the, the judgment time? Are we going to die and be immediately transported to that future resurrection? Or is it all just going to go black until that time that we're resurrected? If the resurrection is not immediate, then tell me this. When Saul went looking for answers, he sought this, this medium, and she pulled up the spirit, and the spirit that came was the dead prophet Samuel. 
why is it that Samuel told King Saul that the next day he, is to be, he will be defeated? The next day he would die and the next day he would be right there where Samuel is. But the resurrection is not immediate. When Jesus goes up on the mountain, he's transfigured. And Moses and Elijah, and they come, physically present, and they speak to him in front of the apostles. If the resurrection is not immediate, how is it then in Luke 23, 43, Jesus is on the cross, and the man next to him, he's speaking to him. If it's not immediate, how is it that Jesus tells this man that tonight, today, that man will be in paradise with Jesus? It's because the kingdom is now. In the parable of the Good Samaritan, there's an expert in the law, and he asks Jesus what is it that he needs to do to inherit eternal life. Or in other words, be in the kingdom of God. Jesus asked the man, he said, what's the law say? And the man says, well, you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your might. The other is like it, you know, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, yeah, you're right. That's correct. In so doing, you're going to live. That man wasn't satisfied with that answer, though, right? He's trying to test Jesus. So turn to Luke 10, verses 29 to 37. This man, he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, well, who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going by on the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. And he went to him, and he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. And when I return, I'll reimburse you for any excuse me, extra expense that you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. You see, sometimes life, it's kind of like driving along a road to, to whatever destination it is we're heading for, right? We try to choose the best route before setting out. We try to identify and avoid traffic or the things that will impede us as we head along our way. We look intently for signs directing us where to go. We think about our, uh, excuse me, our arrival, right, and our getting there and, and how much fun it's going to be, how rewarding it's going to be. Uh, maybe we think about we're heading to the beach, right, and we're thinking about that warm, squishy sand between our toes, the sunshine on our skin feels so good. The smell of the salty breeze as it blows in from the ocean, right? Sometimes we, we focus so much on the goal that we lose sight of where we are, what's around us, who's around us. We drive along, we, we pass by an overpass, and there's a shadow. It's a man underneath it. His hands are shaking from the cold. 
holding that cardboard sign, just asking for a little something, anything. We drive by, there's, there's a car on the side of the road as we're going. There's a young lady there. It's a dark, frightening neighborhood, and she's just trying to get that tire changed, get out of there, get someplace safe. Maybe we do notice, just briefly. But we're in such a hurry, and we got so much to do that we just, we just keep pushing. we got to make it to our destination. We miss the opportunity. I did this not long ago. I was speaking with a lady. She was telling me about her child and how her child had very little to look forward to for Christmas. I noted it, but I, I had something pending, something I needed to get done, so I listened to her. And there was somebody waiting on me, so I, I hurried off, and I thought to myself, I'll, I'll get back to it. I'm going to follow through. I'm going to do something. I didn't. I forgot. I missed the opportunity. We should be more like the Samaritan, right? We should look around in the place that we are, right? We should see our neighbor. We should love them. Sometimes we lose sight of right now. We, we focus on the wrong things, just like the Pharisee, just like the Levite, just like the priest. Sometimes we're not content with what God has provided. We aren't content with the word that he's given us. We travel along looking for signs, right? We ask the all-knowing Google for answers. We watch CNN, we watch Fox News. We're hoping that they're going to tell us what we need to know. We turn on YouTube, right? We binge on videos. Videos and things that tell us exactly what it is that we want to hear. We put our hopes on a politician. We put our hopes on a political party. Some of us turn to self-proclaimed prophets, false teachers, hanging on their every word as though that has the answer. That, like They're going to tell us what it is that we need to do, what's going to bring us through all of these, these things, these problems, right? And you're going to ask, well, Eric, uh, how, do we, how do we know that what these prophets, what they're saying, that what these things aren't true? Why would one falsely claim to be a prophet, right? I mean, aren't they going to be found out? Aren't they going to be embarrassed when the time comes? And we see that, oh, the prophecy didn't come true. I don't know. I mean, it could be that they're just looking for their 15 minutes of fame, right? It could be if they push that prophecy out far enough, they start their own TV show, sell some books, start a YouTube channel, Facebook page, whatever it is, something that can bring in all that really sweet advertisement money. Just every time somebody clicks on it. Be wary. In Second Peter chapter two, verses one through three, the apostle Peter tells us, but false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing up upon themselves swift destruction, and many will follow their sensuality. 
But see, these things they're going to say, they're going to be attractive. It's going to sound really good. And because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Some of the things I'm about to say are going to be kind of hard for a few of us. They weigh heavily on my heart. You see, there are many false prophets and false teachers today. I can name them one by one. God warns us about that. You know, we say this is a time when we should be seeking unity, not division. And that's absolutely true. We should also be seeking truth. Paul understood this. Paul warned us about this. Paul called for unity in the church. He called for us to be one family under our Lord God. But Paul also understood what he was commanded by our Lord God. And he went through and he names false teachers one by one by one by name. He calls them out. I'm just going to focus on one. I'm not going to name this person. But it's within our community. It's just an example. See, recently there's some of the organizations in Teller County have reached out to me to address this concern that they have. Some of you might already be aware. There's been an, an increase of those, not just this year, last few years, that come to our, our county and our town. They don't have a plan. They come here, they end up with, with little food or shelter, if they have any at all. They come to attend a school, right? They're, they're being told by this teacher that God's calling them, right? School's not accredited. So these students that are coming, they're not able to get federal grants or scholarships or things that could help them, right? They're being told they just need to have faith. Have faith and God's going to give you everything you want. They're told to come and pay for the classes that this teacher is selling and the rest is going to be worked out by God. God's going to find them a home, food, whatever it is you need, God's going to find it for you. Don't worry about it, right? Just have faith. Here's the problem. The way this teacher is describing God, he's, he's describing like he's some kind of a genie, right? He's, he's living in this lamp called faith. And you just need to rub it hard enough, right? Have just enough faith. And he's going to come out and he's going to give you everything you wish for. These students, they're led to believe that if they don't get what they want, it's their fault. Somehow they're weak. They're faulty. They don't have enough faith. They just don't believe enough, whatever it is. That's not true. These are children of God. These are people who love the Lord their God so much that they leave everything, have nothing, come to Colorado, and truly believe the Lord's going to provide for them in that kind of a way. These are followers of our Lord God. Yeah, if they didn't have faith, they wouldn't have come, right? But the fruit of the faith that this guy is describing is false. Jesus didn't tell him that following him was going to be easy. 
Matthew 16, 24 through 26. Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give you in exchange for their soul? Again in Matthew 10, 38 through 39, Jesus says, Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Does that sound easy? Finally, in Matthew 19, 21, a rich man comes to Jesus. He asks what he must do to enter the kingdom, and Jesus answered, If you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasures in heaven. Then come follow me. Treasure in heaven. He didn't say you're going to have treasures here on earth. He didn't say, go get rid of all your stuff, come follow me, and I'll give you more stuff. That's not what he said. Meanwhile, this teacher's personal wealth ranges somewhere between 10 and $15 million. Right? His wealth is gained from teaching his own gospel, which he claims to get through Revelation. And then he sells this merchandise that accompanies his gospel. This teacher chose the most, one of the most expensive places in our country to build a school. A school to teach those to fo- that are to go out and, and serve the Lord, right? This teacher lives well here in Colorado, while those he calls live in poverty. He directs his students to nonprofit organizations to get financial help. But he doesn't contribute to those, finan- those organizations financially. But he expects them to provide for his students. He has a, a large campus for teaching his gospel. And although he agreed to do this with the city, he has yet to build the dorms or the living areas to support them. He hasn't found the priority. He hasn't found the need. But you might ask, okay, so how do we know he's a false teacher, Eric? How do we know you're not telling us wrong? How do we know that this guy's revelations did not come from God? Well, Deuteronomy instructs us on how to discern false prophets, false teachers. So Deuteronomy 18, verses 21 through 22. And if you say in your heart, how may we know the word, how do we know that word, that word that the Lord has not spoken? God's answer is this. When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, the word does not come to pass or come true. That is a word that the Lord has not spoken. So the same teacher who claims direct revelations from God, basically saying, hey, I'm a prophet. Same guy that tells you or all of us that we're, we're also prophets. The same teacher claimed on March 17th of 2020 that he could cure COVID. Right? That he has the ability to heal anyone who has COVID-19. Just look at the calendar, right? It's, it's now January 2021. He's yet to heal anyone that has COVID-19. He said it would be gone. It's still here. He's yet to heal the hundred anyone from the 141 cases that he currently has in his own organization here in Teller County. So discern for yourselves judge for yourselves. 
do so for any person that claims to have a special revelation from God. I, I could have used many false teachers in an example. And trust me, there are many. This is just one that's close to us, so it's readily apparent. It's right at our doorstep. As disciples, we need to be aware that there are false teachers and false prophets. But the most important thing that you need to know that they don't have the signs that are going to set us in the right path. We aren't to look to them for the answers. Turn to Matthew 24, verses 1 through 13. Here Jesus is talking about the destruction of the temple and the sign, signs of the end times. Right. So Jesus left the temple and he was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to its building. Do you see all these things? Truly I tell you, not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered, watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines, earthquakes in various places. All these are just the beginning of birth pains. And then you'll be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. And you'll be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. For the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. Persecuted and put to death. Jesus is speaking of those who stand firm, meaning those who are faithful, those who have faith. I'm sure these people don't want to be persecuted. They don't want to be hated. But they recognize that the treasure that Jesus promised is not here on earth. They stand firm. They live to show God's light to save others despite the darkness closing in around them. They stand firm. You see, we, we already have the answers, right? Everything you need to know, it's right here. All of it. You don't need prophets. You don't need some guy giving you a special revelation. It's already been given to you. See, Jesus didn't come preaching the gospel of have faith and get your wishes answered. Mm -mm. He didn't preach the gospel of America. He didn't preach the gospel of man. He taught us about the kingdom of God, right? And the everlasting relationship of love that we're going to have with him in heaven. So in these turbulent times, don't be deceived. 
You can't change what God has already foretold for the world, and you can't add a single hour to your life by worrying. So what you can do is live, right? Live as though the kingdom is now. Because it is. Now is the time to repent of any sins that you might have. Now is the time to live a life that reflects your love for God and for his children, for those made in his image. You might be like the Apostle John, right? You might live to a ripe old age, sharing the Lord's light with all those around you. You might be a King Saul. Tomorrow might be your day. These times are trying. They are. They're tough. They're going to pass. So be a light to the world. That way, whenever your time comes, you're going to be ready. Stand firm. Simply love God. Rejoice in all the good things that he has done for you, your loved ones, and your families. Simply love your neighbor. Love your neighbor in all the ways that God has taught. If you're going to look forward to anything, look forward to the day that you're able to see the Lord firsthand. Look forward to the day when you can say to him, and you can hear him say back, I love you. I don't know about you, but one of the things I look forward to is I hope I can give God a hug. But remember, you're here right now. Right here with your neighbor. The person that you're to love is yourself. We are to love as ourselves. The very person made in the very image of God. So love your neighbor. kingdom is now. So this made me think about selfishly myself, right? I started thinking about good fruit in keeping with repentance. It's like, man, what? Am I keeping, am I producing fruit in keeping with repentance? And I started thinking about it. I started thinking about our church and our family here. What kind of fruit are we producing? And then I looked out in the community, and I thought, well, who in the community is producing fruit? What kind of fruit is it? Here over Christmas, we did something really fun, and it was wonderful. Fortunately, I was home. Amanda and I had a bit of a cold, and so we stayed home in case it was COVID. But we had volunteers came here, and out of the goodness of their heart, they worked with the Salvation Army, and they fed over 200 people. Thanksgiving Day, Hosting the Salvation Army again here. 30 volunteers of you, your loving, giving heart, came and fed 190 people. Did you know that very same week, Community Cupboard, right down the street here, they fed 300 people. That's 500 people in one week. There are people producing fruit. You're producing fruit. You're doing great things.
But I can tell you right now, community covered, as well as uh, there's one in Green Mountain Falls, they're hurting. They're running out of food. These times are hard. Think about that. One week, 500 families. There's not enough food to go around. It's running out. You can help be a light to that. You can help carry out God's work, things that he told us to do, to feed the hungry. It's real simple. Each Sunday, if one person or one family brings in a can of food, a single box of noodles or whatever it might be, bring it in, take it to the office. We'll make sure it gets community covered every week. That could be anywhere from however many number of people are here today or online. It could be a couple hundred people a week that get fed. But it's shining the light and it's doing something. Then I looked around some more. I said, well, who else is producing food? And I found an organization. They produce amazing fruit. Now, it's small. It's wrinkled. It's really pale. But I tell you, it's the most beautiful fruit you'll ever see. I don't know if you can see this very well. That's, that's Benton. That's Killian. Oh, yeah, I'm going to go through them all. That's Davin. These kids are beautiful. Sky. I, I'm jealous of the joy that children have. Man, it's beautiful. Kimmy. Blake. This is Eli. Artem. I haven't heard that name in a long time. Scarlet. This is Autumn, her parents. This is Oren. is Vicky. Some of you know Vicky. This is Choices. If you aren't familiar with Choices, it's one of the most wonderful organizations in our county. See, they are a voice. Sorry. They're a voice for those that don't yet have a voice. When they call themselves choices, they call themselves that for a reason. But every single choice that they offer is a choice of love. See, they share the love of our Lord with everybody that walks in there. And because of them, so there's many ways to produce fruit. There's many ways to help many ways to shine a light to show people what God's love is. We have that ability. Do you love the Lord? Who wants to carry out His will? We're going to say a prayer. And if you find it in your heart 
I want you to repeat after me aloud. And I go line by line. Scott, if you could put that up there. Yep, that's it. So I'm going to say it. And I want you to repeat after me if it's on your heart. Don't say it if it's not on your heart. But if it is, please do so. Lord, we know that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to you, Jesus our Savior. We ask that you make our feet swift and sure as we go and make disciples of all people. We ask that you open their hearts to be baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. We ask that you grant us wisdom, understanding, and yes, humility, that we may teach them to obey everything that you have commanded. We thank you, Lord, for being with us always to the very end of the age. For those of you who are here in person, for those of you watching online, for those of you who are watching us from Germany, Ghana, India, Australia, uh, Bangladesh, Puerto Rico, um, El Salvador, Latvia. If any of you have yet to repent and give your lives to the Lord, if there's any here that have any sins that they've committed that they need to repent of, now's the time. So in just a minute, I'm going to help you. We're going to walk through some pray- praying, some prayers. But first, I'm going to ask you, church, if you're not one of those, I ask that you bow your heads and close your eyes. I'm going to ask that you pray over each one of those people, wherever they are, whether they're here in this church, whether they're at home, whether in some other country watching right now. Just pray over them as I walk them through some things to pray. So I ask that you bow your heads right now. So church, please pray over them. If you're one who is seeking the Lord, if you're ready to welcome Him into your life, I ask that you speak to Him in your own heart and in your own words. Ask Him to enter your heart. Ask Him to enter your life. Confess everything to Him. Tell him your sins, everything you're hiding, everything you don't want anybody else to know about. Confess it to your Father God. Ask him to forgive you for those sins, because he will. Ask him for the strength to live a repentant life. Ask Him to give you understanding and wisdom 
to help you to be a light to the world. Ask Him to teach you humility. Ask Him to teach you to love fully. To love Him as your Father. To love your neighbor who is created in His image just as you are. And to love yourself as well. Lord God, I thank You for everyone in this room. For everyone in our country, for everyone around the world who seeks you, who wants you in their life, want to learn more about you, for every person that wants to go out and shine your light to help those in need, to feed and clothe those who need it, to produce fruit, non in such a way that you're going to get something out of it. By you, I mean we the people, but that's something that we'll get out of it. But because we want to, because we have the kind of love for the people of this world that you have for us, I thank you for every single one of these people here, Lord, and everyone that walks into a church today that comes to that decision to follow you, Lord. We thank you so much, and we are so grateful for them. In the name of your Son, Jesus. Yeshua, God saves, we pray, amen. Thank you, everybody. After service, Pastor Scott and I, we're actually both going to be standing right over here. If there's anybody in the prayer team, or anybody who would like to pray, come on over here. We'd love to talk to you, meet anybody that's new. We'll close there. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord make His face to shine on you. May He give you His grace and His peace. Now go out and be a light to the world. God bless you. See you next week. I will sing, it could be heavenly, turn the music loud, lift my voice and shout, from where I am, from where I've been, he's been there with me, he's built a monument, his very people, so let his people sing, 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 that's so